Welcome back to the Passion for Craft podcast. We have uh, an awesome guest, Dave Reichert, here. Um, and Brent, I'll let you introduce Dave a little. Sure. Yeah, Dave and I are college mates. Um, we were both SAEs at Baylor. Dave was a star basketball player for the Baylor Bears. I think star is overstating that a bit, <laughs> but thank you. I did play. So we've been friends a long time. He owns a lumber yard in Dallas, and so I thought it would be great if we could – uh, understand the lumberyard perspective, okay? And and obviously there's there's uh, different worlds. There's the big box stores. Then there's what you do. We'll let you explain that. Um, but I thought it'd be good to hear from Dave to say, you know, look, I'm I'm as a craftsman always talking about good moldings, good design, passion. You've got to sell the stuff, right? And so that's probably a bigger priority than than being a you know passion for craft nut. And so, but I know you also care about that, right? You have a mill shop, and you have some things you can tell us about. But uh, tell us how you got started in the. So that's what we're doing today, and that's what you're here to talk to us about. So tell us how'd you get into the lumber business from Baylor? <laughs> Not a typical path right. at all. So yeah, when I was at Baylor, I was studying accounting. Uh, thought that. That would be a great business kind of platform to get into some kind of small business was mm -hmm. kind of my dream at the time. Uh, realized I did not want to be an accountant after a <laughs> while. And so looking at other options, I ended up at law school. So I went down to University of Texas Law School and again, kind of made it through that and thought I'd be a lawyer for a short time and then maybe get into business of some sort. And kind of what happens is I did pretty well in law school, got to a big law firm in Dallas and you kind of get into this track or rut or however you want to <laughs> describe it. And so all of a sudden, six, seven years went by and I realized I liked law, but back to the word you use, Jackson, passion, mm -hmm. I didn't have a passion. I didn't have a love for it. Yeah. And so I was looking at lawyers that were older than I was and I thought, man, is this, is this the path I want to stay on? Um, and so I started looking for small businesses and I was always intrigued by construction. I mean, literally I was at, I was on the 42nd floor of our office building, downtown Dallas, and they were building some kind of bus depot. And I'd be looking out the back of the window, <laughs> spending more time instead of billing hours, I was, you know, watching construction. And so came across this old lumber yard in, uh, in Oak Cliff, um, that had been around about 75 years at the time. And it, it was dying. And, um, but started looking at that as a business opportunity, mm. started doing my due diligence, uh, prayed about it a lot with my wife. We had at that time two young boys. She was pregnant with our third boy. And we're like, OK, is this the jumping off point? Do we really <laughs> do we really want to do this? Yeah. And I really felt the Lord calling me to do that. It just didn't really know, not necessarily with a promise of great riches, but I felt like, OK, this is the next step. And so that began a journey that was back in 99 mm -hmm. uh when we bought it uh, our third son will was was three or four months old and uh there's this great picture i think i've showed you brent this picture before but we're in the front yard we had just closed on the lumber yard so i was still in my lawyer suit had the tie <laughs> kind of loosened and i'm holding one or two of our boys and we're in my front yard of our house and we're all raising our hands like this and the caption should have said we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> you know? And so, and, and you know, the, the thing that I think is, is challenging about the building world in general is the cycles that we have to deal with. Yeah. You know, there are different strategies for business. I now know in go-go times, good times versus the recession times. And so fortunately we had some good years early on yeah. where, where the mistakes that I was making didn't hurt us as badly. But then, you know, survived the Great Session and, and on from there. But anyway, that that's a, probably a long version of how I got into it. No, it's great. I've, I've been, obviously, to your lumber yard. You're growing now. You're doing some fun stuff. But, but tell us, you know, uh, maybe for the listener, what's the difference between you as an independent lumber yard Right, and you would call yourself an independent yes. yard versus the big boxes. He needs to know. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> the apprentice here needs to know. I recently built a bench and bought all my wood from Home Depot. Oh. Yeah, uh -huh. and uh, every single piece was warped and pretty awful. <laughs> Knotted, and you must have gotten there later in the day after everybody <laughs> culled through the lumber and got down to the bottom of the bin. Well, so yeah, so uh, similar to you, when I was younger, I thought if if it wasn't at Home Depot or Lowe's, really Home Depot was was the dominant here at the time. Mm -hmm. 
if they didn't have it, it wasn't made anymore. Right. That was the mentality. Mm -hmm. And so when I started doing that due diligence, I started talking to these independent lumber yards around Dallas and there were a lot fewer, you know, one guy told me in 1950, there were 50 lumber yards in Dallas County, Dang. Wow. you know, and That's at the time wild. I was looking and talking to them, there were probably seven or eight, but most of them are out to the suburbs following kind of new construction. And so, mm -hmm. um, but the, the more I talked to people, the more they, they said, no, 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 there is a whole different world of independent lumber yards that are catering much more often to the custom home builder, remodeler, historic preservationist, you know, rather than a production home building. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's, uh, I would say almost there's three worlds in lumber. One is Home Depot and Lowe's, and really that's for primarily do-it-yourselfers, mm -hmm. um, subs, you know, frequent there, convenience, mm -hmm. uh, but you're not seeing people do framing packages in large numbers out of Home Depot or Lowe's. They keep trying to get into that, but, but have really not been successful. Yeah. Um, and then you see production lumber yards. And some of these are even publicly held. Uh, the real big one based in Dallas, uh, Builders First Source, is, is kind of a conglomeration of four. Used to be large, trying to cover the whole United States. So wow. they're, they're following the production builders and kind of saying, hey, wherever, wherever you build, we can supply your lumber. Mm. Um, and then there's this other group of independent, locally operated, often family, multi-generational lumber yards um, like us uh, that are that kind of fill a different niche. Yeah. Very relationship-oriented, um, consultative selling, uh, part of the community. Uh, and we, we band together, though in some buying groups that really allow us to be competitive with the big national yeah. um, Home Depots, big boxes, or, uh, or the production yards. That's awesome. So you, um, you're the independent one, and, and the, are there still, how many are in Dallas right now? Well, I don't have a number for you, but I'd say probably a dozen or so. Oh, you think? Yeah. The, uh, and, and your area that you're covering is really Highland Park and kind of the park cities or a bit more than that? That's one of our, our main kind of fairways, I would say. But Dallas County, it kind of depends on the part of our business. If you're just talking framing lumber, you know, the constraints of transportation, I mean, you've got some massive amounts. But we'll follow our builders out to lake properties, ranch properties that they're yeah. doing. And you, and you said, you've told me before, Dave and I commiserate about business, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> few times a year we'll get together and talk about uh life and business and stuff um you've got three kind of businesses inside your business right you've got the hardware sales you've got lumber sales and then you've got the millwork is that true kind yeah of, kind of and, and it keeps kind of changing growing but yeah the original build business certainly we have a convenience hardware store which is just kind of a community store mm -hmm. real basics 7-eleven type variety of hardware store that's a small part of our business. Um, framing lumber, engineered wood, kind of geared toward a framing carpenter okay. is a large part of what we do. Mm -hmm. And it requires the, the most capital from an inventory, from a equipment, all, you know, 18 wheeler, flatbeds, Moffett forklifts on the back to be able to place lumber on the job sites. Mm -hmm. That's a big commitment. And then the architectural millwork is, is another part of our business. Now, how many lumber yards will have an architectural business, millwork business like yours? Not many. Uh, there's a few or? around the country. No, not that, not that many. Oh, really? You see the architectural millwork more associated with hardwood lumber companies. Okay. So again, she kind of what, Jackson. What is that? Yeah. The difference you think of framing lumber, it's more softwoods. Okay. So it's yellow pine, it's Douglas fir, it's spruce mm -hmm. or SPF. Yeah. And uh, Home Depot, they call it white wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's more uh, again, kind of the structural side of it. The hardwoods is is getting into things that you all do more, Brent. You know, in your in your millwork shop, whether that's a, a sapili or poplar or or oak, maple, maple oak, yeah. you, you name it. But those are associated more with the millwork. So they'll typically have more molders. They'll be yeah. running uh, S4S and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it, this might be a larger question, but I, I've always been intimidated by the idea of a lumber yard because Home Depot, I walk in and it's like, all right, I'll just go find a piece of wood and I won't have to talk to anyone and, <laughs> you know, embarrass myself with what I'm doing. But 
Um, man, with this most recent bench project, I'm in the middle of there, like looking for a good piece of wood and I'm trying to talk to an employee like, Hey, where's the, where are the straight ones? (laughs) Where are the good ones at? And he's like, well, what we've got here is what we've got. And, uh, these guys were telling me you should have gone to a lumber yard. What were you thinking? Um, and I guess maybe a misconception that I had was, uh, all lumber yards don't sell to DIYers or don't sell on smaller quantities. Um, is that true or is it, are you guys, would y'all sell to a smaller quantity guy? Cause I was just buying, you know, 40 yards of wood. Right. It really depends. Okay. I mean, there are some that will say, you know, certainly open to the public. Some can be intimidating. Yeah. You know, we try to break down some of those. We've actually got, uh, two lumber yards now. So in the last year and a half, we bought another one in Dallas, more of a specialty lumber yard. And mm-hmm. it's, it's probably more known as to the trades, yeah. you know? And so you kind of have to get your courage up, I guess, if you're a homeowner. And, and we're not necessarily catering to the homeowner, but yeah. we, we will sell to it or the small craft person right. or you know doing a project. But uh, there's huge differences in the species of lumber that you can select from, the right. grades of lumber, and then the mills that you can purchase from. And so, unfortunately, it's a very subjective world. Yeah. Um, and so... I'll give you an example. In framing lumber, uh, a typical is, is what they used to call number two and better. Okay. Um, and then depending on, and it, it gets very complicated, it, beyond the scope oh, yeah, here, great. depending on the species, it has different grades and there's different grading agencies, say in the Pacific Northwest, if you're talking about Douglas fir or, um, or spruce, those have different grade stamps than southern yellow pine right. because back in the day, they wouldn't be transporting the lumber that far. Of course. Um, so anyway, if you're looking at a number two grade yellow pine from one mill to another, it's going to vary a lot. Wow. And depending on where they got their logs, um, how fast those trees were growing, how much fertilizing, how much pruning, how much, you know, it's, it's very much a sustainable forest now for yellow pine. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, um, Brent and I talk about this a lot. Wood is not the same as it used to be. Wow. Uh, picture a forest 100, 150 years ago. Every tree is fighting for its life. You know, mm-hmm. it's trying to get sun, it's trying to get water, it's trying to get nutrients. It's blowing in the breeze. It's crowded out by others. It's going to have really tight growth rings. Yeah. Uh, that longleaf pine that you make your hundred-year window out of. You know, it's just incredible wood. It's dense. It's durable. It's it's resistant to yeah. all sorts of things. Well, now that same tree is harvested after 15 years. And it's fertilized, and it's it's got room, and it's uh-huh. it's it's like babied. It's babied, and as a result, it's a snowflake. Yeah. You know, and, and today is it, it's not the same, and so it can't span as far. It's going to move a lot more. The growth rings, shoot, you might have three or four growth rings in an inch. Wow, it's ridiculous. And versus so, fifteen or twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So so you, you if you're in the remodeling business, you know you tear out some of these old houses built in the fifteen twenties or something. And every stud, I mean, it's, you, you know how heavy it is, right, Richard? Mm-hmm. I mean, compared to some of those that you might have culled through at Home mm-hmm. Depot, some of them feel like balsa wood. Oh, yeah. like we used to carve yeah. for our little paper you know, airplane models. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just different. And so you got to know that as a carpenter, yeah. particularly. Mm-hmm. you got to know what you're dealing with. you got to know what the moisture content is. You've got to totally. understand how that wood's going to react under stress and under different conditions. Even like how to, like even on the newer woods where you, if you nail it too close to the edge, it just, just blows, blows it out. out. Yeah. Cause it's just really weak. I've noticed that the, um, and so, you know, kind of back to his question. Um, it sounds like you're saying that the quality of wood that you would supply is going to be much different than the home Depot Lowe's. Is that true? Or some will be very similar. Okay. So what's happened is incredible consolidation in the sawmill industry. Uh-huh. And so you go through some of these uh, recession times, log prices go real low, different independent sawmills have gone out of business. And so you've got these giant ones, whether it's West Fraser or Weyerhaeuser or others that have really taken over much of it. And so it's it's a little bit more homogenous mm-hmm. as far as the grading standards across the industry. So it's harder and harder to find that specialty wood. Um, you can get it some, they, they have what's called a machine stress rated mm-hmm. pine that's designed more, again, for certain structural uh, 
engineer kind of kind of specifications and so you can you can sometimes get a lot better quality by just going up a grade mm -hmm. or, or going into a well i mean category. i know what we're we're using on a lot of jobs is you know the lvls the 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 engineered studs right and, right and, and so is that um the finger joint studs not only finger joint, I mean, you know, basically it's hard to get a straight stud anymore. So, yeah. and you tell us, I mean, they, they went to finger joining, what, in the 90s or early 80s or something like that? Finger, finger joining is this one? Uh-huh, when they, when they cut all the pieces and glue them together. And and I remember the, the salesman saying, I, I was like, I don't want finger joining studs. She goes, you want them straight or not? <laughs> and so... And now today, most of our jobs we're using engineered studs because they're straight and they're 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 better. But right. I mean, talk to us about yeah. So that. originally, finger joints. I think they thought, hey, we got all these little short pieces laying around. What do we do with them? <laughs> we can make you some know? money with these. And then they realized with those finger joints, particularly in a vertical ap ap application, it was an engineered joint uh, or a stud. And so if you had a bad piece mm -hmm. and it was going to move a little bit. In an overall piece made up of six or seven joints, it's overall it's going to stay straighter. So that was the theory, and 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 I think generally it works, but it depends on you know sometimes you'd have a, a stud and it was offset, yeah. <laughs> you know, and sometimes it was ugly and it's it's just not right, not very attractive, particularly mm -hmm. if you had a high end house where you've got the homeowner walking through. Well, every we evening. we had homeowners yeah. complain about them. We yeah, had it's like, what are you doing? I yeah, don't want that stuff. I didn't want cheap stuff. We didn't hire you to put cheap <laughs> wood in our house. It was like, ah. Well, and it really varied by region. And so Dallas-Fort Worth is kind of known as a finger joint market. Mm, interesting. <laughs> there's not many in, you know, so there's not as oh, many sawmills okay. that are making them. Mm. Um, but back to your point, eventually they're getting into an LSL, a laminated strand lumber, or even an LVL, laminated veneer lumber, which is which basically taking components where they're either either little strips or chunks um, or they're veneers and they're putting them together like plywood mm -hmm. under pressure with rosins and they get a really consistent product. It may be two, two and a half times the cost of a mm -hmm. what we call dimensional lumber, which is just a solid lumber, but it's gonna perform. Mm. And so if you had a really you know high-end house, some kind of level five finishes. You're gonna have gloss paint on it. You're, you're washing it with lights, and you got you know artwork on it. Yeah. You don't want that that wall to be looking wavy. You mm -hmm. know, you want it to be locked in. Yeah. So that's where it's worth paying up for, you know, some of the houses that you're building. It's worth paying for that. Where where are you on the state of craft uh, in Dallas Fort Worth in general? You know, you've got a mill shop. You do beautiful millwork. I know you care more about quality than than you know. I would think the typical guy, but where are you on craft? On current state of yeah, it. Current state. It's interesting. Yeah, you and I were talking about this, and we've over the years we've talked a lot about it. I mean, I I have always followed you and admired what you have taught. Learned a lot from you. Um, we are blessed in Dallas and Texas in general. You know, incredible number of people moving here, a lot of wealth uh, in the big cities. We have a lot of great architects that really care about it. So I think there is a segment um, that really care about it. I think generally Texas, you know, particularly in decades past, we've not been known for our craftsmanship. In fact, uh, I've talked to manufacturers that really have good presence, uh, certain products on the East Coast, and they say, man, we can't make any money in Texas. No, you know, particularly when labor was really inexpensive, you know, the mentality, I think, with a lot of our builders here was, ah, if it wears out or if it rots out, we'll just replace it. You know, mm -hmm. No big deal. Um, so I think that may be a factor that's changing it, Brent, as far as as labor costs really go up, people don't want to replace it. They don't mm -hmm. want to have that disposable mentality as much. And so, um, and I think we've been learning more about, you know, really from mistakes in building that we've been making, whether it's not understanding the, the quality of wood. And again, it's rotting out. It might've been a fascia. We might've used to use, uh, oh, say a finger joint redwood fascia that used to be old growth redwood. And now it's second growth. It's got all this sap wood in it. It's rotting out after three or four years. And you're like, wait a minute. This it's is redwood. Yeah, it's redwood. It's supposed to last yeah. and last. Well, it's not the same redwood. It's second, third growth. It's, it's just not the same. So mm -hmm. anyway, we have learned from those mistakes. And so I think 
I think there's a hope for craftsmanship, mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? You are particularly caught between two worlds because the manufacturers are coming to you and, you know, Windsor Mills, our friend, and uh, you sell their moldings, and obviously we know those guys. I remember Craig Flynn telling me, the owner, um, <coughs> that, you know, a lot of their costs has to go to teaching better install, and, and their warranty stuff is just, you know, I can't get my product installed properly. And so I heard you mention that with the manufacturers and, you know, you know, from that perspective, just manufacturers talking in one ear saying these guys don't know how to install craftsmen on the other ear saying, give me a product done rot. You're right. You just seem to be caught between (laughs) those two, you know, right. Is is that true? (laughs) Some guys, there's a lot of different ways we could go with that. Your point. Um, I think about just even the, the you, you know, we talk about you being the apprentice. Yeah. You're the journeyman, mm-hmm. almost master, you know. Brent, <laughs> Brent's the master. Well, that's a, that's a foreign old concept, mm-hmm. right, of, of having an apprentice. You grew up in the industry. You know it. So mm-hmm. the chances of Brent having success with hiring you as an apprentice and you sticking around long enough and doing it mm-hmm. are much higher yeah. than somebody just off the street. And so... You know, we have lost that training. We've lost the um, emphasis on shop in school and mm. craft and working with your hands, the value of that, the honor in that, um, you know, partly by pushing everybody to college, saying, mm. oh, you got to get a college education. Pushing you know, everyone to tech and everything. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of the technical schools uh, really suffered in that time. And so I think we're seeing... Uh, the results of some of that, part of it is there's not enough craftsmen around. So if you get into craft now, you can make a lot of money. Mm. I mean, it, it, it is a new time to get into it. Um, but anyway, that, that's part of it is, is you're dealing with the labor side of it. And then on the material side, there's a lot going on, you know, as far as <laughs> how, how you deal with the old woods, the beauty of wood, people still want that. Mm. They want the authentic nature of it. They want some of the natural imperfections. Yeah but they're tired of it rotting, you know, they're tired of it going away. And so, so anyway, manufacturers are are trying to find replacement costs that don't sacrifice the beauty. Who are the companies who are cutting down the wood, who are growing the wood and then cutting it down? Like who, what stage of the process is that? I guess maybe I naively thought you guys may have some element in that as like, or some lumber yards may have an element in that, but it sounds like there's like a sawmill, which is another it's really Stage upstream from us. Okay. Yeah, it's a whole nother world. Um, I know bits and pieces of that, but but not much. By the time we get to it, the sawmill has already cut the logs in the forest. They've replanted for sustainable forestry. Yep. They've dried it and they've cut it down to a two by four. Or if it's hardwood, it's oh. going to be in rough dimensions. Yeah. Um, but by the time we get it, it's already it's more manageable. Cool. We don't like dealing and with so- the log. Do you know if any sawmills are out there? Because I'm hearing you say that uh, some of the wood that you're getting is like three, four rings per inch rather than 15 or 20. Um, Do you know of anyone out there who is like playing the long game with that and just planting like, all right, we're not going to touch this batch of wood for another 30 years while it grows and matures and really becomes a a full tree. And we're going to, you know, set aside sections because right. i mean i'm sure people i'm sure you as a as a lumber yard would pay more for getting that quality of lumber and then be able to sell it more for more because it's going to be higher quality that's the battle jackson the, the economics of it is there enough demand for it to to put that kind of investment into it in time and i i've always viewed it as kind of like a, a pyramid uh-huh. and you know you've got a, a top echelon that has the budget in their projects where they want the very best. Yeah. Whatever that is, they want the best. Mm-hmm. But can you run a business model off just serving that? Mm. Um, in early years at Davis Hall, and Britt and I talked about this a lot, I could not, we didn't have, I didn't have the capital to have two levels of, of inventory. Yeah. On one, kind of the, the best, and then a good competitive, right. you know, because Dallas is a very competitive market. And so, so anyway, we now have, fortunately, with this recent acquisition, Brent, I've got the best framing lumber at ACM. This, mm. this one called Architectural Carpentry Materials. Uh, the owner there that I bought it from is a guy named Ben Calvary. And 
he just wanted the absolute best, whatever it was, whether it was the species or the grade. Mm. And so now we can do that for those projects that call for it. But that's not many projects. Mm. You know, it's some. It's the houses that you build. Some of your competitors build. But then there's a lot of other really nice custom homes that are still a little bit tighter budget. So what, what percentage is that upper echelon? 10%, 2%, 20%? It's probably 2 Probably two. I mean, oh, if you're including all the production homes, if you're yeah. talking about just in the custom market, I mean, maybe a little higher percentage, but it's That's pretty small. Mm. So is there, you were talking about lumber there. I was reminded of Levitt, who was completely vertically integrated, apparently owned the forests, harvested the lumber, owned the nail factories. Is anybody doing that? No, not the, not the, uh, there's probably somebody out there trying, but it's not. Uh, not like him. No. Yeah, Surely no one's allowed to do that. Isn't that vertical monopoly? Isn't that part of the... I don't think it's a monopoly. It's a... Because it's not a monopoly. Well, it's not... Of course, They're completely vertically integrated, but it's not a monopoly. You've got, uh, you know, one that's kind of interesting, Sierra Pacific out in California. Incredible. I think they're like the second largest landowner in the country now. Hmm. They have the timber, they have the sawmills, and then they have the window manufacturing. So you're seeing some vertical integration Mm -hmm. there. But um, from the home builder standpoint, no. I think when people have tried it, they quickly get back out and realize, <laughs> hey, I want to stick with what I'm really good at. Mm. What do you do to kind of educate and promote craft? Uh, you know, with your with the people who are buying from you. Just I know you got newsletters and you got other things. So walk people through like like what should a lumberyard do, and what 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 are you doing to you know. Uh, you know, talking to the craftsmen out there, how, how do they build better, right? If they're coming into your store, how do they, uh, you know, how do they get better? Yeah, it's a lot of one-on-one conversations, and a lot of it depends on um, the experiences that that builder or carpenter has already had. Mm-hmm. So if they have come out of the production building world, they're typically not as open to those ideas. Um, and yeah. if they're younger, they're typically not as open to those ideas. Sorry, no offense, Jackson. Oh, no, it's okay. But you got to get burned a number of times, you know, before you realize, <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. I need something better. I'm, I value my time. I value my work. I'm proud of my work. If I use this inferior product, it does not reflect my craft. And so I, it's worth investing more. Hmm. I've been it's, burned before on some products. <laughs> I got this cheap Chinese plywood just because for the price, the first time I went and I was going to try to build a cabinet, I tried to cut it and I mean, it just splintered out and it was just a horrible experience. But like someone like you, I, I mean, I was right there. I, I literally came from Home Depot to the lumber yards and I was like asking people just questions like what, what I need to buy this wood. What is this? Oh, that's an eight quarter. Uh, I'm like eight quarter. What is that? Like, right. <laughs> what, 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 you know, it's, oh, it's a, two inch board i'm like why don't you just say two inches then you know so there's this whole thing you have to learn and he's like or you can get it in s4s or s3s i'm like just stop (laughs) just give me like i just want the you know but you have to kind of like learn that stuff you know it it is intimidating Mm -hmm. to go from home depot to a lumber yard and you you kind of got to know the jargon a little bit yeah uh, no, you're right. It can be very frustrating. And, and so what you've got to have is a lot of patience, Brent, to answer your question. As a teacher, you mm-hmm. have to have people that work for you that, that want to teach. You know, you think about that. Yeah, that, that piece of plywood is probably what they call it, China birch. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of a generic name for import plywood. It was the cheapest kind of smooth <laughs> plywood for building cabinets. But it have all sorts of voids in it and yep. have unknown species and how they laid it up and <laughs> wow. what kind of pressures, just inferior, right? Mm-hmm. And so an experienced cabinet builder is going to say, no, I want this particular grade of, I need this face on the front and that face on the back. And I need this kind of veneer or cores and, and, and it's worth it to them mm-hmm. yep. because their finished product is going to reflect that, that quality. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if there's an industry with more jargon than yours <laughs> i mean yeah. richard would just remind me of that the s4 s s2 s s you know i mean and if someone came in and the salesman come to me well you want number two or number one uh 
and you feel like yeah. an idiot. you're standing there and you don't want to look like you don't know what you're talking about. You're like, uh, the Chinese one. You know? <laughs> well, I gave you a great example. So yellow pine boards, they have, uh, it's like a number three, which, you know, you can picture that's not that great. Number yeah. two's got some knots or you could get a D grade and you think, wait a minute, all through school, I know D is not good. If I come home with a D, my dad's mad, you know, but D is actually all right next to C, which is clear. D has one minor imperfection, but it's good. So you're right. Vocabulary, well, in construction in general, right, yeah, Brent? I mean, right, it's yeah. just, you gotta, it takes years to, to understand the multiple, uh, uh, I'll give you one other example. We have a siding and it's an old wood siding out of yellow pine. It's a traditional pattern. Um, it's called 117 is its official name. And some people call it washboard. Some people call it novelty siding. Some teardrop. people call it teardrop. So, you know, so you'll have somebody come into our <laughs> lumber yard and we'll have a young person behind the counter that we're training up as a, as a new salesperson. And somebody will come and say, oh, I need teardrop. You know, teardrop. <laughs> guys got this blank look on his face. You know, here, sir, can you point to which one? Oh, oh 117. Oh, all right, I know what you're talking about. That's so true. And it, like... <laughs> What it took for me to learn this stuff was the salesperson. Like you guys are important for the person to be like, oh, well, let me tell you what this is. Well, let me tell you what, like the way the guy explained uh, the quarter to me, he said, just think of the quarters as a dollar. You know, if it's four quarter, then that's one dollar. That's one inch. Right. And I was like, cool. Now I know, you know, I wouldn't have known otherwise. Yeah. So y'all are big into like, training us because we don't have like official training most of us you know yeah yeah i mean it's an industry that you know i don't know what your percentage would be but 98 percent of people maybe 99 percent of people in the trades have no training it's all learn on the job and mm -hmm. so it, it it can be you know intimidating yeah mm -hmm. so y'all train us for free <laughs> <laughs> In a way, but it helps you because it sells the product. So totally, because I know I will never buy that Chinese stuff again. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah. Do you have particular manufacturers that that you know are always pushing for better? You know, trying to find that balance of you know quality but not cheaping out and just you know uh, is Windsor a good example? Uh, Windsor Mill, right there. I feel like I've known them for twenty years. I mean, they. they I feel like they care about quality are there a lot of windsors out there no really no yeah i mean you go to windsor and they're talking about you know and they have control over where these logs are cut and and certain slopes of the of the terrain that they're going to oh, harvest no and that match the finger joint up better together and they're culling out and their treating process and triple prime you know they get into all the detail the difference with windsor is they do a great job of marketing and teaching kind of to your point richard mm -hmm. you know how, how do we communicate that to our customers saying it's it's going to cost you a little bit more yeah but it's worth it you know and, and particularly when you're talking about durability or uh, saving time with the installation with those guys or saving the painter's time of not having to prep and prime and yeah. and you know cutting out days mm -hmm. in a project Yep, we've got to tell that story so so it can translate into saved money to the builder mm. or to the homeowner that he can sell his house better because this particular product's in there, and they just feel better about it. Mm -hmm. They have a peace about it. Richard's um, going out to their their factory tour Wednesday. Oh, yeah. it's fantastic! Yeah. I'm looking forward to yeah. it. You'll have a great time. Is Dave going with you? Dave Rod, yeah, yeah he's good. he's taking me up there. Um, I did a whole video on comparing a board from Lowe's to a board from Windsor. And you mentioned that it costs a little bit more. It literally is a little bit more. For you to buy a one by six 16 footer is a, for from Windsor is 14 cents more than the Lowe's one. Yeah, I understand. So it's like 14 cents, that's, you can cough up 14 cents, you know, for this product. It's right. such, a, such a superior product, but. Mm -hmm. I just that just crossed my mind when you mentioned the cost because I think people are like, well, it's no, that's expensive. But when you compare it, it's really not that much. You know, that's my that's for the reputation it'll give you for the quality of perform yeah. and everything else. Yeah, well, for sure. there's a thirty year warranty to, to mm -hmm. you know that you don't get with typical wood products. Mm -hmm. um, what percentage of people coming in, or or or, or what percentage of of builders out there are quality driven versus price driven? 
And, and you, you deal with more high-end guys, so hopefully the percentage will be more. But I, I guess I'm hearing that comment and, and thinking about Windsor. And, and, I mean, are you fighting, you know, with your, with your builders or with your people, like, on, uh, on cost a lot? Or is it really more about quality? Well, everybody's got a budget. Right. Yeah, obviously, everyone's price driven to some extent. To some extent. Um, so they want to justify it. They want to be wise in how they spend their dollars. And so it, it really, I think, depends on the finished quality that they want to present to the marketplace. You know, what mm-hmm. their reputation is like. Do they care about their reputation long term? Or is this a builder who's really just trying to get in and out, get through the warranty phase, and they're on to the next thing? Yeah. Um, I guess that's where I'm asking. What, 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 I live in, and you know this, but you know, we just want the best product on the job. Okay. That's all we, that's, I, you know, money isn't the obstacle for our clients, right? right? You know, quality is. And so, but am I just in my own la la land world, right? And just that, you know, well, that's the way we look at it. So everybody must look at it. Or is it, are you like, Brent, you're the 10% or you're the 2% or you're, no, probably half our guys are like you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's interesting. We do get in kind of echo chambers because we are trying to attract builders like you. So everything we do from a marketing, from a sales, from a relationships, we're trying to find, I've always traditionally thought it was 5% of the builders Mm -hmm. that really care about longevity, you know, and but if you find somebody where they're asking a question or they come into a, to a supplier and they say, hey, we're only going to be in the house three or four years. <laughs> they're basically saying, all I do is want this to look good for a year or two longer than I'm going to be here. And I don't really care about the rest. Wow. Compare that to someone who's building a house and they say, I'm building 100 year houses. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an architect that you or a house that you know over in Dallas where they're doing a presentation and one of the younger architects was talking about it saying, you know, we've designed this to be a 300 year house. And, you know, one of the older architects says, uh, uh, 400 years, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that's a totally different mentality. Mm -hmm. Budget doesn't matter there. It's all about the craft. It's about the building science. It's it's that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So you said the number earlier, 5%. You know, just and that's just general in your in your estimation. You know, just in the market, you think that's a good number of guys who care? Because I think it matters for the people who listen to this podcast. Because you know, we're trying to encourage them to build better. And if they're you know if they're out there you know fighting to build better, how do they find that five percent? Right? How do they find those guys who care and you know build their career and and, and come work for us or you know builders like us so that they can hone their craft and get better. You know what I'm saying? So is it, first of all, is the question is, is it 5%? Um, you know, and, and then two, you know, how do you encourage those guys to, to build better? Yeah, we're trying to grow that 5%, right? I mean, that's part of this, but the people right. listening to this podcast, most likely they've already bought in. You know, you're going to get some new people, hopefully, that say, oh, what are they, they're talking about something different here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we are trying to grow it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it it can be frustrating at times. You know, we want to be positive, as we talked about, as far as how do we how do we communicate this story? It's um, and partly, Brent, we got to communicate it across architectural styles. Even you know, I mean, you're more of a traditional builder, classical architecture. I mean, that's that's the way I am too. But we got so many contemporary homes, mm-hmm. transitional homes, and yet the the desire is the same. And if you're talking about stewardship. You know, you're talking about durability. That's a huge thing. And the materials aspect of it is huge. You know, yeah. what is sustainable? What's going to have the biggest carbon footprint? Whichever of those environmental paths you want to go down, well, good building, we used to call it green building for a while, right. just good building and good stewardship of our, of our products Hey, wood is is about as environmentally friendly as you can ever find, <laughs> yeah. right? Completely sustainable. I mean, biodegradable. The the it's unbelievable that we can produce really these mills, Jackson that can produce a sheet say of OSB or plywood mm-hmm. and out of the forest, get it to our lumber yard. We sell it to the job site often for OSB under ten dollars a sheet. Wow, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Um, Compare that against steel, compare that against various plastics, compare that against other products out there. 
what does it take to generate that product? Yeah. What do you deal with the waste stream of that? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of issues that go into it. Um, so I don't know. I think some of the trends are good, Brent. That's a long-winded answer to your question. No. I think people are more aware of of their impact. I think your generation mm-hmm. much more aware than maybe we were. How old are you? You're a young guy too. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Y'all are much more conscious of, of your that footprint mm-hmm. kind of kind of concept probably the, than we were. Um, yeah, we. I don't think our generation would think of that now unless it wasn't for the younger generation going. Wait, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, wait, what? You why? can't dump yeah. your chemicals into the river. <laughs> I, I remember growing up, training uh, and and do you remember the the Indian commercial that the guy with the tear when he was talking about? I've seen that. You before. used to that, but that was a real thing. It, we're talking about that commercial where the Indian walks in the, the bypass and there's trash everywhere. There was a what was that in the seventies or eighties that they, there was a real push to kind of clean up and don't be a litter bug and all this kind of thing that was going on. because literally people would finish their McDonald's and throw the bag out the window. Do you remember that? I've seen that. It's I've, been, crazy. I've been in traffic and just seen. I'm like, it infuriates me. I'm yeah. like, Ugh. But it, it, it and it did. It was a that's <laughs> crazy. It was a change in like, uh, oh yeah, I guess we shouldn't be doing this. Uh, <laughs> it looks horrible. But that <laughs> is yes. a cultural difference. Yeah. Different countries you'll visit, and yeah, it's just litter everywhere. Others are spotless, mm-hmm. and you know that's it, true. It's true. Well, there's a fun consequence change i know shanghai's got a pretty strong consequence to living <laughs> you go to prison oh, you get caned there <laughs> yeah, or something yeah, yeah. it's something crazy whenever you have a guy come in like i'm thinking of me in my early days buying a bunch of mdf and just you know builder grade stuff do you have anyone who who says like hey you know have you considered this windsor or anything do y'all kind of push in that direction or you just let them buy what they buy and no, that's a great question, and kind of yeah, we just call it upselling. Okay. You know, for us, it is a it's a better product. But we, you know, at one time we put together a sample board in our lumberyard of one by sixes. Mm. If somebody comes in and says, "Hey, I just need a one by six," and we literally say, "Which kind?" and, and we looked at this board, and there were like sixteen different samples Whoa. of products. Sixteen different samples of one by sixes. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, that's that's it's just remarkable. So yeah, we. Again, it de- kind of depends on the house and it depends on the budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, MDF has its place mm-hmm. in certain houses and certain applications, but you're not going to put it as a baseboard in your bathroom, right. you know? And, and if you're trying to get a certain finish, <laughs> you know, if you like little volcano indents, right. you, know, yep. you know, the issues with it. Yeah. Yes. Um, but sometimes it's a great panel application and they've got some mm-hmm. MDFs now that are completely waterproof and, and they're not really? going to expand wow. and contract in really tough situations. If it's a paint grade, it's, it's worth considering. Yeah. So on that one by six example, um, I mean, it cost per foot. Right? Is that goes from ten cents to three dollars, or does it go to, you know, no, a lot wider than that? I it mean, is wider than that. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting into e-pay decking, for instance. Oh, okay. What is that? Uh, it's a Brazilian hardwood. It's it's uh, it's got the same flame or fire uh, level. I forget what they call it as like concrete. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh my <laughs> I mean, god. You can't burn it. That's, it's it's incredibly durable. It sinks. Wow. Remember that? Who was the old comedian? Does it float? You know, they do some skit, <laughs> have something. Does it float? He pays. Yeah, I think sink. that's the uh, that Holy Grail. Uh, <laughs> she's a witch. <laughs> How do you know she's a witch? Therefore. <laughs> Therefore. Yeah. Um, okay, so let, let's take Epay off the thing. If, if someone's putting a one by six trim in their house, um, and we're, we're let's break down this cost thing of quality versus thing. Um, of the ones that you'd recommend putting a one by six in a house it goes from what's the swing 10 cents to a dollar or yeah, it, it, you'd have to put one bucket with paint grade you know okay. what are you going to paint and then you get into stain grade you know okay, so let's you say may, let's stay in the paint grade area yeah it, it may be um three or four x still okay you know from from the low grade which may be a Again, if you got a rustic cabin, you're going to put a number two or number three uh, uh, knotty pine, you know, a radiata pine or ponderosa pine. You know, it's the old traditional. Right. Uh, it may be inexpensive, but then if you want clear, so you're talking about knotty versus clear. Uh, you're talking about whether you've got some wane on it on the edges. Do you need a board that has all four edges, four square board, mm-hmm. or is 
you know, sometimes you desire imperfection. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's exactly what you're looking for. Other times I want clear. I want it to look just slick as can be once I paint it up. That's what you're paying for. Well, three, three or 4X seems reasonable to me. I might be way off in saying that, but... It seems reasonable to me, too. I mean, it, 10 cents versus 30 or 40 cents, right? right? And so um, it, it, I'm, it may not be... It might be dollars, but the... Um, uh, but but that, it seems like that's a fair... It's a fair spread, and it seems like it wouldn't be the end of the world to just go one level up to get away from MDF for longevity's sake. I don't know. I, I, in my mind, I, I think because of you, I've got just a core aversion to the idea that someone would buy something for two years and then just want to replace it because it's like, why are, why are you buying it for two years? Why wouldn't you want it to be a forever decision? I'll tell you, tell you one other distinction that comes to mind as you're talking, Jackson, is if you're looking at a spec home builder mm-hmm. versus a cost plus, and really, literally, what is their economic structure to how they do it? Yeah. If they're looking at a, at a turnkey kind of price yep. to the homeowner, their view is that any extra dollar I spend is coming out of my pocket. Yeah. Mm. Whereas if it's a cost plus, those builders are more inclined to value service and more inclined to value quality mm-hmm. because it's worth it to them for the product they know that their customer is going to pay, and they've still got budget numbers. Yeah, you know, maybe a do not exceed number with the with. I don't know how you structure them, Brent. You could speak more to that than I could. But that mentality difference between a spec home, they're more likely to cut corners. Hmm. Um, it's just uh, that's that's the risk. That's so a bummer. What would be in your mind? Uh, what's the knowledge level of most builders out there? Um, and, and I think your distinction is clear because uh, and it's good. Um, the spec builder probably doesn't know as much about building as the cost plus builder. Right. Um, but when I think of you know when I think of my career, uh, obviously historic precedent, understanding historic preservation, then understanding classicism, then understanding now getting into more build science. Um, I just think, feel like there's these tiers of knowledge you know, growth that I, that I've happened. Um, I'm wondering how many, how many builders really know what they're doing. Um, and you probably may not even want to comment on that because you're, you know, your clients are builders, but, but it's, <laughs> but it's, uh, I'm just curious, like, like I, one of the things lessons I'm, I'm talking to the people who are listening to this is that the builder doesn't know, right. And especially when they're talk, doing a mantle or building trim and it's something we encourage Richard about. It's just like, look, you're the expert. You're, you need to go in and talk to them about what trim needs to go. And you need to be the one educating and training because the builder doesn't know. And sometimes the architect doesn't know. I mean, is that, is that ring true for you? I mean, is that, is, is that, you know, where are you on that? Yeah, there's, there's a, um, you know, the difference, say, say, go back. I don't know how far you have to go back on this, maybe 50 years, but you used to have people who literally would build a house from foundation to, to True. a ridge, True. you know, they, and they knew every trade. And so, and particularly they were going to be the ones coming up after themselves. So if they framed it and they're going <laughs> to hang drywall or cabinets, they're going to make sure that framing yeah. job is really spot yeah. on, you know? <laughs> um, and they had a tool belt and they knew how to swing a hammer. And so those builders, I think are, fewer and farther between and so you've got more people that have expertise in marketing or in finance and in sales and in strategy and things of other sorts that are that's a good distinction technically a builder but they are relying heavily on their superintendents or they're relying on their trades and so the dangerous combination i think is if you've got somebody who comes out of another field and is intrigued by building wants to be a builder wants wants to do this but then they try to have a tight budget and they try to get the least expensive subs. What a recipe for disaster, <laughs> right? Cause the builder doesn't know what he doesn't know. No, totally. And so, and then That's he's got point. a less expensive get in, get out sub who's not going to teach him mm-hmm. and who's going to be able to hide things from him that he's never going to see. Yeah. Homeowners never going to see, they will reveal themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, is that five years later? Is it 10 years later? Is it a year later? <laughs> there was one builder I was with. It's an old, crusty old Dallas builder, one of the best. He and I, and he was tough for me. He taught me a lot. Um, But I'm standing in front of a house that he was working on, and he looks across the street, and we look at this house that had gone up just lickety-split. You know, it was probably a six, seven-month build time for a pretty nice house. And he looked at me, and he says, six years. (laughs) 
I said, what, what, do, what do you mean? I said, six years, they're going to be having significant problems with that house. Because oh, he'd, he'd been there gosh, watching yeah. how the corners that had been cut. And, mm. and again, if you got an inexperienced eye and you got trades that, you know, bottom dollar, there's a cost. There's no, a cost I think I'd love that. And that's really insightful. Um, and that's why, Richard, I tell you, the builder doesn't know. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you need to trust me when I say that. And you guys listening out there, um, I want you guys to be the expert in what you're doing. And I want you guys to, um, you know, fight for this knowledge base because no one knows. You know, the architects aren't educated. The, the builders, you know, like Dave was describing, there's a, one of the, the top builder in here to, you know, he was in the digital film industry, you know, thing. And he was a, you know, and he, he got and fell in love with building. And, you know, he had some better training than that. But but he's not a builder. He doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that whole thing you were just describing is, you know, we're trying to find the best subs for that for that very reason. We're trying to find the guys who are going to educate us. And right. so um, and th that's the level of expertise, guys, that as a tradesman that you can bring to the job and, and you know, and, and encourage and grow and everybody. And, and talk about being valuable then, right? And all mm -hmm. of a sudden, you can become that resource to that builder who makes him look good, who, you know, you've got a job for a long time. Yeah, there's a misconception, like, from my end of it, it's like you show up and you're just going to be handed you know, stuff and told what to do, but a lot of it doesn't go down like that. You know, you got to kind of know, like, like you said, you got to become the experienced person. So that's been like a really thing, big thing I've been trying to work on. So if you are listening to this, like, you know, definitely try to, I mean, that's our goal with this whole podcast mm -hmm. is to try to educate and equip people with that, that knowledge that they can, you know, become a better craftsman mm -hmm. through knowledge. That's the only way it's going to come. That's the fun of it, to be quite honest. I mean, that's where you get to use your creativity, mm -hmm. your challenge in a mm -hmm. way that, that is meaningful. There's satisfaction yeah. that comes from figuring that out and responding and growing. You know, we, we talk about that a lot with our team is if we're not growing, we're dying, mm -hmm. you know? And so you look at it, a tree, you look at it, a young child who, you know, all of a sudden that child stops growing and you're taking them to the doctor. Something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Something's mm -hmm. going on there. That tree get, becomes stunted. Uh, it's a sign of health. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it also keeps us young, old guys like Brent and me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we want to keep learning. You know, we want to have a culture that's, that's, that's of learning. That's the fun part, yeah. It really is. And our roles shift. I mean, where, where Brent, as, as the master in this, is he's passing on those values. He's passing on that mentality. He's passing on the skills. That's, uh, that's how the roles shift. But, but we're no less involved. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. That's, that's what gets me up in the morning. I find it kind of ironic, too, because you mentioned, like, the, the older builders. You said maybe going back 50 years, they were building it from the ground up, and they had the tool belt on. A lot of the builders I see, I feel like never even wore a tool belt. And I'm just like, you're just like a glorified manager. I'm the builder, you know? <laughs> it's, I'm it, doing it's it. It's very true. And and one of the things that when I got back from North Bennett Street, I was surprised how many guys had never built. And, and you know, the guy I hired, my first employee, was, I don't know if you remember Kenny Hayes, that guy worked for me. He um, he was that guy. And, and when I went to interview him for a job – I was like, well, show me some of the, some of the stuff you've done. And he, he goes, he, he were at, by his house. He goes, oh, I built that house and I built that house. And I was like, so you like manage the, you know, the framers and all that. No, I did the foundation. I, I did frame the That's walls. Awesome. I ran the electrical. I ran the plumbing. I, I did the roof. He did everything exactly like Dave was describing. And he was probably 60 when I hired him. Um, and I was, you know, 30 and, and he was, what an education I got from that guy. I mean, how to prepare for work, how to take care of your tools. I mean, he was a professional and that is he, awesome. he told me stories about him learning to hammer nails. And, uh, he remembers being in the trade school. He only got like an eighth grade education and, uh, the instructor, um, because he, what he could do with the nails, he would grab a handful of nails in his hand and he could go pop, 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 pop. And, and, uh, you know, two strikes to get the nail in and another nail was ready. 
Pop, he'd set it. Pop, he'd drive it. And I mean, I'm talking framing nails. Human nail gun. And his story yeah. was that <laughs> oh that, that his instructor, <laughs> you know, hit his thumb went because he was too slow uh, when he was doing it. And he still remembers his thumb getting hit and him going home going, that's never going to happen to me again. And, and learning, <laughs> learning how to Whoa. drive nails. And so, you know, the art of driving a nail is, is, is something. And, and it's, you know. It's a lost art, but uh, well, there's those old. I don't know if y'all have seen them, but there's the old drywall installation videos where the guy has like a sheet of drywall and he's installing a curved archway, and he just he'll oh like yeah, strike down that. the whole thing and go ding 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 ding, and then he'll like pull out a handful of nails like you're saying, break the drywall, put it against the curve, and just go ding ding ding. Yeah. It's an yeah. art. They're the impre- it's impressive. Wild. If you want to see some impressive thing. Uh, YouTube, uh, you know, framing a house in 1940. Uh, and there are these old trade videos of these guys framing houses and putting, but see this blocking in the ceiling? Uh-huh. The way they put that blocking in, I mean, it was just magical. Right. It was just, they were, they were above us and you were just, they were, they were, it was so smart the way they were doing it. They were so fast. And uh, anyway. Kind of, kind of chased a little rabbit there, but the uh, um, yeah, no, that that was a good that was a good story and a good reminder of kind of where we are. I, I think that almost is a explanation of our state of building more than anything else, because you know I would say ninety nine percent of builders are, you know the the don't know how to swing a hammer guys, mm-hmm. and, and I mean they can still be good builders, right? But they're not the way a few generations ago. Yeah, it's almost like they should just call just call yourself a manager, you know? <laughs> like, you're not building it. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that drywall video, too, uh, the guy is dressed classy. Yeah. He looks nice <laughs> he and professional. A lot really of tradespeople could probably, you know, look better on the job. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about how pe- how can people find you? Tell us about what you're excited about. Tell us about, you know, I think you've got uh, getting ACM and everything else. You want to tell people about that? Yeah, we're actually I'm excited because two of my boys have joined our business. So Austin is uh, how old are you now? 27. Yeah, so Austin is your age. Yeah, he's been with me about a year and a half, and then Ben just joined me a couple of couple of months ago. But it it is um, yeah, it's got me thinking differently. Um, I'd, I'd always wanted to kind of be in the training business in, in a less formal way. We've got about 50 employees between our two lumber yards and two architectural mill workshops. But it's about passing on this craft, and it's the excitement, it's the passion for it. Um, there's a guy, I sent you a, a, a link here a minute ago. It was yeah. talking about character in craftsmanship. But, you know, you talk about, I love this kind of conversation because the depth of it, it's, um, you know, life is short. That's mm-hmm. why I got into lumber business in the beginning. Yeah. I, I didn't want to spend umpteen years in the law firm and get hit by a truck or have a heart attack. And, and you know, life is short. I want to enjoy mm-hmm. it. I want to have passion. And so I love the depth, um, the beauty of craftsmanship. You know, I was trying to think about that on the way over here this morning is what what is it? The attention to detail, the challenge of it, it's... Um, it's a wonderful thing. So to be part of an industry where people can share like this and enjoy it and try to ignite that spark in other, and particularly uh, there's this guy named Dave Hattaj, and he's a gear maker in Edger, I think it's Edgerton, Wisconsin. But uh, he calls them the, the lost shop kids. Mm. And you think about that, you know, we talked about earlier, people pushing everybody to go to college. Well, there's other people that have incredibly, this guy with eighth grade, that's formal education. His, yeah, his, his entire education, you know, continued his whole life. Yeah. And so there, there is brilliance in a lot of young men and women that has just not been tapped. They yeah. may not do that great in school per se or formal yeah. education, but they've got creativity. They've got skills. They've got mm-hmm. dreams. So how can sure. we tap into that? And how can we direct that? So, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's part of our vision for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, tell us about what, what you've got going on. It's the A&M. Is that, what was it? ACM. ACM. Architectural that, Carbon Do you materials? want to share about that? You don't have yeah, to. Yeah, well, it's the... fun. So about four years ago, uh, we bought an architectural mill workshop up in Frisco, Texas, uh, called Lynn Floyd Architectural Millwork. And Lynn is just, uh, Brett, you've, you've met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful man. Kind of a... Um, uh, just 
classical. Uh, he's a mathematician. Yeah. He, he taught in local schools. Wow. His daughter was first chair violinist in the Dallas Opera, and he would Whoa. he would do woodworking to classical music, and it's just <laughs> you know musket rifles. He would man. build Renaissance man yeah. exactly. Um, but he was getting to a retirement age and needed to pass it on. So mm -hmm. we were able to acquire that four years ago. Cool. Just moved it uh, to our, our facility near Love Field. And then down in, in Oak Cliff, we had a molding operation and radius millwork is what we do down there. And so we moved that. So putting these two millwork shops side by side mm -hmm. where they can have this camaraderie, where they can you know, share some of the tools, some of the know-how, um, mm -hmm. the passion. It's really been fun to see. That's neat. And then it's it's at the same campus as architectural carpentry materials, okay. which is really a, the supply. You know, we do a lot of vertical grain, dug fir, a lot of different just great woods there. Um, but it's a neat spot that really is attractive to architects and to people like you guys mm -hmm. that care about the craft, care about quality. And so uh, that's what I'm excited about right now. That's really cool. I want to go check it out. Yeah. Sounds awesome. That yeah, is. Yeah. Awesome. You're welcome anytime. That's awesome. Well, Dave, Definitely. thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. We appreciate yeah, sure. uh, all your insight and uh, into the lumber yards and what that looks like. So, Well, it was a real pleasure. That hour flies by. It, it really does. does. It, it really does. Well, thank you guys for watching. Uh, Passion for Crafts, please join us on Patreon. Get, a, get into our Discord, and we'd love to continue our conversations there. Mm -hmm.